Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we approach your word right now, Lord, we pray that we would um, take it seriously, Lord, and, and joyfully as we consider the fact that we have the opportunity now to hear and read the inspired word of God, your love letter to us, Lord, with instructions for how to live our lives. So, Lord, we pray that we would understand it, that we would trust in it, and we would obey it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as I said earlier, we're kicking off this year as the year of community, and we're emphasizing that. We've invited you to some life groups. We've preached about it in the last couple of weeks. We've talked about there are certain blessings to being in community. We've also highlighted that there are hurdles to actually engaging in community. This week, we want to highlight just sort of how to connect in community the community of of church specifically. Excuse me for a second while I grab a prop. Uh, I rarely use props, but when I do, I insist that we go high budget. So we, I got our prop team together and uh, we built this prop for us to illustrate how to connect in community. So, let me explain it to you. This is a triangle. We took three pieces of wood and we attached them. And it illustrates community in this way. God's at the top, right? So it's all centered on God. We are in the pursuit of God. Now that's an important distinction as it relates to community. There's lots of wonderful opportunities for community in Pittsburgh. You can connect in community over movies, over video games, over books, over sports, over wonderful things. But the church is different than that. We're saying we're going to help you connect in community as we move in the direction of God. And so what this does, I've used this illustration oftentimes in premarital counseling. As you move in the direction of God, what naturally happens is you grow more connected to one another. So that's what we're trying to help you do at Northgate Church is we want you to move closer to God. And as you do, what you'll notice is that we as a community will grow more connected to each other. So that's how the illustration works for us. It's as this church, we are unique in our pursuit of God, our pursuit of one another. And then third thing we're going to talk about this morning is our pursuit of hospitality. For those who are not yet in this community, we want to be in pursuit of them as well together. I think all these things are found in Romans chapter 12. So if you want to read with me, we're going to read from Romans chapter 12. This is a book written by the Apostle Paul to a church that met at Rome. And so he wrote them a letter, and uh, towards the end of his letter, in the 12th chapter of his letter to the church at Rome, he has a lot of instructions for how the church should be living together, how they should be connecting in community. So I want to read those verses for us, and we'll see these, uh, these three things emphasized, the pursuit of God, the pursuit of one another, and the pursuit of hospitality. So starting in verse 9 of chapter 12, it says this, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Now there are just 
dozens of sermons in that short passage there. Um, for the sake of time, like I said, I'm going to put the, some of these verses into different buckets. So the pursuit of God, the pursuit of one another, and then the pursuit of hospitality. As we think about the pursuit of God, we're going to look at verses 11 to 12. And then verses 11 to 12 are unique from the other verses around it because it is not necessarily talking about how you relate to one another, but how you relate to God. And so it says this again to remind ourselves of verses 11 to 12. It says, Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Those things have to do with our pursuit of God. I actually enjoy the New Living Translation's uh, translation of verse 11. It says this, Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. I like that translation because it's just a little more in your faith. Rather than don't be slothful and zealous, saying like, hey, don't be lazy when it comes to your relationship with God, for your, the, your pursuit of God. As I read it, I naturally sort of start asking myself questions. Have I become lazy in my pursuit of God? Have I become lazy in my service to the Lord? Am I working hard at my faith? Am I fervent in spirit? Now that word... This is originally written in like this ancient Greek, and then we translate it into English. And that word fervent in spirit is the word really means like boiling over. So the word imagery that the author wants us to get is is your pot of water like cold, like lukewarm, kinda warm, or is it overflowing? Is it bubbling and overflowing as you think about your spirit and how it relates to God? So as I ask myself those kind of introspective questions, depending on the type of person you are, some of us are harder on ourselves than others. Others of us give ourselves a lot of grace, and others of us are too hard on ourselves. So when you ask yourself these questions, you know, some of you are going to beat yourself up, and others of you aren't going to take it seriously enough. But however you receive it, it's best to start with these self-evaluation questions. If you just read these verses and are like, don't be, oh, you're, I've gotten lazy in my Bible reading. Where's my Bible? I'm going to get it out and I'm going to read it. I've gotten lazy. That's probably a good thing to do, but you've got to realize that since you didn't pause and sort of introspectively look at why you quit reading your Bible, like you're probably just triggered by duty. And it would be better if you get to a, a heart motivation that is deeper than just duty and obligation and some form of, of gratefulness for who God is and what he has done for you. And out of a spirit of gratitude, you could go to the scriptures and, and read them. That's probably a, a better impulse. And so you ask yourself those introspective questions. How did I get here? How's my heart? Why is it not boiling over? And try to get to that heart issue. Now, once you get down to that heart issue, it is probably like the verses are a bit prescriptive. They're, they're saying like, serve the Lord. That's what it says. It says, serve the Lord. So you're probably going to get there. You, you need to read your Bible. You need to pray. You should come to church. There's lots of good ways that you could move from lukewarm to boiling over in your spirit towards the Lord. But the verse says specifically, serve the Lord. And so it could be that that is how you're going to raise the temperature, move from lukewarm complacency to boiling over hot pursuit of God, is if you stop being lazy and you start serving the Lord. And you'd be like, well, what does that look like? Well, of course it could be volunteering at church, but it could be a lot more things other than that. We read the words of Jesus, and he talks about feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, visiting the prisoner, caring for the sick, visiting the elderly. 
We could mentor the fatherless. We could be a coach. We could be a teacher. We could share what God has done in our life. We could invest our lives into serving others. And as you serve others, you are serving God. And if we could do that, I bet you you'd notice the temperature of your water would start to go up. Or you could just pursue your own heart's desires and your own selfish things that you want to do, your own thing, and not care about serving others, and then just keep a temperature on the water. It's probably not going to go up. But if you want it to go up, if you want that fervent spirit for the Lord, I think what the Scripture is trying to help us see is you might want to consider serving the Lord. As a pastor, I've had countless conversations with people, right? So uh, not all of them stick. I can't remember all of them. And some of you are like, oh, thank God, because I don't need you to remember that conversation, which I probably don't. I have a really bad memory. Um, But some of them stick. So I think back to years ago, I had a friend named Matt, which is common if you're at Northgate Church to have a friend named Matt. Um, None of the Matts that are here currently. But this other Matt, who has since moved on, came to me, I don't know, he's maybe in his like late 40s, and he's like, I just feel like complacent, right? Like I feel like, he didn't use these words, but like the water's not that hot. So he also went to a friend of his named Leo. Leo happens to be the director of uh, Locking Arms. It's a men's ministry in our city. They meet Tuesday mornings in our building for Bible study, if you're looking for a Bible study. And they're going to meet here on Friday morning this week, because the first Friday of every month, men from across the city gather here early on Friday mornings and worship together. So my friend Matt goes to to Leo, our friend, and he says, you know, he has his own little pity party with Leo. He's like, I just just feel, you know, like I'm just not complacent and and I don't know what to do. And maybe if I could go to another Bible study or like, what should I do? And Leo gives him some version of this pep talk. Stop being lazy. Who are you serving? Who are you investing your life into? You come in here and you want me to like pat you on the back and give you a cuddle and make you feel better, give you some sympathy. But the question is like, who are you investing your life into? As a result of that conversation, you know, Matt came back and told me and he laughed about it. And he was like, I was in a total pity party mode. And what Leo did was he woke me up to the fact that, yeah, I'm totally self-absorbed. And he went out and he found a young man to mentor. He became more involved in locking arms in different ways. And he was able to move through that stage of complacency and the temperature of the water began to bubble as he began to realize it's not just about receiving, is it? It's about pouring out into others. We've probably all heard of the Dead Sea. We know in the United States we have, the salt, we have Salt Lake City out in Utah. Both of these bodies of water have the same thing in common, don't they? They collect all these minerals, and they're all salty. I've been to the Dead Sea, and I've had the experience of floating in it, and it is wonderful, and I hope you can all get the chance to do that. But fundamentally, the Dead Sea, nothing can live in it. It's dead. Why? Because it doesn't let anything flow out of it. It just collects everything into it. And if your posture as a Christian is only to receive and not to serve and to give, then you're just going to be another dead sea. And so that's what we see as we read this. We live in the pursuit of God. How do we connect in community? We pursue God. First and foremost, the goal is God. Community can happen as we pursue God. And if in your pursuit of God, you should read the Bible and you should pray, you should come to church, all the answers you know already. But you might want to consider also the fact that you need to be serving the Lord. And as you serve one another, you are serving Him. 
And so that's our first point. We pursue God, but we also pursue one another. That's a natural part of living in community together as a church, is we are also in pursuit of one another. And so as you read through Luke, or I'm sorry, Romans chapter 12, it's just full of instructions for us on how to live together. So in verses 9 to 10, it says, let your love be genuine. Love one another with brotherly affection. He's saying the love we have for one another should be like you have for your brother. It should be a family type of love. So as I read that, I wrote down that we should pursue one another and we should pursue love. In verse 9, it says, abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. So I wrote, we should pursue what is good. Verse 10, it says, outdo one another in showing honor. So I wrote, we should pursue honor. Verse 13, contribute to the needs of the saints. So pursue generosity. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. We should pursue grace. When someone persecutes me, I want to give them back what they deserve, which is some persecution in response. But if we're going to connect in community, Paul is letting us know, like, if you want this community to work, then when you're persecuted, you need to respond and bless them. So you need to pursue grace. You need to pursue empathy. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Pursue humility. In verse 16, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. And in verses 16 to 18, he's making the point that we should pursue peace. He says, live in harmony with one another. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. And if possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Each one of those could stand alone as its own sermon. We don't have time to go into each of them. So for the sake of time, I'm going to lean into the one that says, outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another in showing honor is verse 10. I think it appeals to me because there is within me a little bit of a competitive streak where I want to be better than you and I want to do better than you. And so in this rare point of scripture, it's saying like, okay, here's what you need to do. You need to do better than them at showing honor. So let's get a little competitive. Let's, let's beat one another at a particular game. And that game is honoring one another. Who's going to give more honor? But for us, to, before we can go too far down that road, we need to first answer the question, well, what does it even mean to honor someone? I think it's a word that we're not too familiar with as we live in the West. And I know that Pittsburgh is not in the West, but let's just zoom out wider. Globally, we are Westerners, and we live in Western culture. And if you look at Western culture, what you begin to notice is that we, we don't necessarily value honor as much as other cultures do. Now, we have lots of great features. If you look at America, we've been a champion for civil rights and personal choice and individual freedom. It's because our culture is shaped by uh, dignity and individualism. And that's produced some tremendous fruit that's blessed people around the world. Those are good things. However, in Western culture, you have to realize that the other side of that coin is the fact that we don't necessarily value the collective. We highly prioritize our own individual rights and our opinions and our own personal freedoms. And so that begins to be a bit messy as you try to connect in community. Because if we all approach community as in like, no, 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 like, the most important thing here today is my preference and my freedom and my rights, that becomes difficult to connect in community if that's how we're approaching our gathered times together. 
Just look at the political scene that we're living in. Just look at the sexual revolution that we're living in. And you'll see that like it's really difficult if each one of us is going to define our own truth individualistically. Each one of us is going to come to the table thinking that our opinion is the most important. Then it's just it's going to be difficult to connect in community, isn't it? And so what I think we need to do is as we zoom out, we need to look to the east. As you look at globally, eastern cultures often have honor-based societies, or they're sometimes called collectivist, um, is sometimes what their cultures are called. So rather than identity becoming, my own personal identity being the most important, it's the identity of the collective that is most important. And so self-expression and individual rights are less important than the community's success or honor. So rather than the individual being at the center, the family or the village or the church is the center. And, and it's the most important thing. Now, it's, honestly, it's hard for me, being very familiar with Western culture, to even conceive of what that's like. Because every scenario I go into, I'm just hardwired from this Western culture that I live in to think that my opinion, my experience, my freedoms, my rights are the most important things but what we can learn from Eastern cultures is like, well, there's also honor. And honor is whenever I sacrifice my personal rights and my personal preferences for the sake of the collective. So that the community can thrive, I surrender my rights. It's very biblical, and it's easy to lose sight of in our Western culture as we have our love affair with individualism and freedom and rights. So we need to start asking ourselves questions like these. How can I outdo my brothers and sisters in Christ in showing honor? How can I put others first? You're going to have all kinds of scenarios in church, in this wonderful church community, where you're going to be like, I feel offended. How can I show honor to the person who offended me? You're going to be in, in context with this community and be like, I, I feel ignored. How can I honor the people that I feel like are ignoring me? That's how we connect in community as the body of Christ. We try to outdo one another in showing honor. You think of it that way. It's why scripture says that you should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. We should celebrate one another. We should express gratitude to one another. We should offer to help one another. We should be quick to apologize to one another and forgive one another. We should just really pay attention to Romans chapter 12 and love one another and be generous to one another and bless those who persecute you. And you say, well, nobody's honoring me. Perfect. There couldn't be a better scenario for you in this moment. That means you can outdo everyone in the room in showing honor. You win. This scenario couldn't be better for you. The word outdo doesn't really, if you go back to the Greek, doesn't really have anything to do with competition. The word just means simply go before, blaze a trail, show the way. It's about leadership. It's about calling each one of you to lead the way for this church in what it looks like to honor other people, to sacrifice your desires for the sake of the collective, and to, and to say, I will honor you and surrender my pride. And to be clear, this sermon has nothing to do with me seeking honor from you. You guys, you guys give me honor, which is great. That has nothing to do with Romans chapter 12. 
In fact, Romans chapter 12, and again, Paul writes about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, is actually the opposite emphasis. In both passages, the Apostle Paul says the community of the church is like a body. In 1 Corinthians 12, he's more explicit with it. He says, you know how like on your body, certain parts of your body get more honor than other parts? The same with the church. So just think of it this way. Like your face gets all the honor, doesn't it? Everyone's just looking at one another in the face. The eyes get lots of honor. Do you know what gets no honor on the body? I'm not going to... I'm not going to talk about that. Uh, the armpit. The armpit. Gets no honor. So Paul is saying, like, listen, this is how the metaphor works. There's parts of your body that just naturally get no honor. Those are the parts you should pursue with honor. And so as you look around the church, this has nothing to do with giving honor to your pastor. This has everything to do with you looking throughout your church and being like, that person I feel like may not naturally get much honor, and I'm going to go out of my way to show them honor. I'm going to lead the way and that to that end. We all have situations where we don't feel honored. I had a scenario like that very recently where I was in a, in a space, and I'm going to spare you all the details, but I walked away from that time. It had nothing to do with any of you in the room or online. I don't, it's just a totally different scenario. I walked away being like, I just felt disrespected. I felt like I wasn't honored. I felt like it was just kind of rude the way that whole thing just played out. But you know what that moment was? That was the opportunity that God gave me that day to outdo someone in showing honor. So I give you the freedom. If I ever whine to you privately, publicly about, not, about feeling dishonored, I want you to grab me by the shoulders, look me in the eye and say like, hey, get it together. This is an opportunity that God is giving you to outdo that other individual in showing them honor. Those are the opportunities we have. That's how we look at one another as we try to connect with one another in community. We are in the pursuit of God. As we pursue God, one way that we can do that is through serving others. As we pursue one another, one way out of many is that we would pursue honor for one another. That's how we'll connect in community. And the last way to connect in community is to pursue hospitality. What do we mean by pursue hospitality? To like uh, someone like me who grew up in the church, I, if I hear that, I just naturally think like, oh yeah, I should have more people over to my house. And that's probably true. However, if you read it again and you pay attention to the different translations that are out there, you know, sometimes you get out the Bible app and you just look at the different translations, here's what you'll find. It says, seek to show hospitality. That's what we have for you. That's the English Standard Version. The NIV says, practice hospitality. The Holman Christian Standard Bible says, pursue hospitality. But the Aramaic Bible in plain English, it says, befriend strangers. When you read that, you're like, oh, I wonder why they picked those words. Well, here's why they picked those words. The word in the Greek for pursue I mean, that's, I think that's the right word, pursue, because the Greek word is to run after, to run swiftly in order to catch a person or thing. That word for hospitality is literally means love to strangers. So if you wanted like a really literal translation, it would be run swiftly in order to catch strangers, right? <laughs> so if you're visiting with us this morning, I apologize in advance for what's about to happen when you hit the parking lot. Um, 
I think that that's pretty aggressive. Um, but it, it's, that's what it's saying. He's saying, like, you need to aggressively, you need to be assertive. You need to keep your eye out for who's the stranger and how you can love them. Now, what did, I think it's important to, to pause and just think, like, well, what does that look like today? What did it look like 2,000 years ago? So 2,000 years ago when Paul wrote this, it was a totally different world, right? Like, the, just think of the hotel industry. It would have been totally different, right? If we want to show hospitality to someone today, I mean, you don't necessarily have to have them stay in your home. But 2,000 years ago, there wasn't a hotel industry. So probably to the believers 2,000 years ago, maybe it was. You need to have people in your home to sleep in your home because you just don't have the industry that surrounds us today. You look at the restaurant industry. If someone's traveling or in need of food, I can just have them go to any number of restaurants up and down McKnight Road, can't I? 2,000 years ago, you just didn't have that option. And so probably to the believers 2,000 years ago, he was saying, like, you know what you need to do. You need to bring more people into your home to eat with you. Now, to be clear, we should probably do more of both of those things. Part of Western culture is we've developed castles that we retreat into, and then we shut the door, and then we go back out when we want to. And there's a big moat around them, and we could probably learn to have more people into our homes and eat more meals together and, and let more people sleep over and all those types of things. But the point is, it was a different world when Paul wrote this, wasn't it? It's a different world for us today. Transportation is totally different. You had somebody into your home 2,000 years ago, you're washing their feet because they walked in the dirt to get to your house. So the world has changed is my only point. But there's certain things that haven't changed. What hasn't changed is we still need to help strangers feel like they belong. Whether that means bringing them into your home to sleep or to eat a meal I don't know, or maybe it means something different in the world in which we live today, which is highly mobile. The world was different back then, too, in that you've got to understand, 2,000 years ago, if you went to your family and was like, listen, I'm going to go join this group called Christians, your friends and family would have said to you, um, you're crazy, because that's a cult. That religion wasn't even around 10 years ago, and you're going to go join it? Yeah, yeah, I really think it's a good spot for me. You realize that they gather together and then they eat flesh and they drink blood. And you're like, yeah, 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 I don't think it's what you think it is, though. But nevertheless, it's an honor-based society. And so what probably happens to a lot of those believers is their family disconnects from them because they have chosen to leave the tradition of their grandfather and their great-grandfather and their great-great-great-grandfather and to go and pursue something totally different. And so what Paul is saying in that context is the church is emerging. You must befriend the stranger. Because if they have joined this faith, they might have been cut off from all of their family. And as they come into your city, there's not restaurants in every corner. And there's not hotels in every corner. Maybe there's an uncle or an aunt, but maybe they can't even stay with that uncle or an aunt. So maybe the church needs to do a really aggressive job of pursuing the strangers in your town and welcoming them into your church because they need somewhere to belong. I think that's the key that exists. That's the thread that travels from 2,000 years ago in Rome to today in Pittsburgh is we must do a good job of pursuing those who don't belong. There could be someone who moved here from across the ocean. It could be someone who's just new to Pittsburgh in general. It could be someone that 
has lived in Pittsburgh their whole life, but for their whole life, they've just struggled to find somewhere where they feel like they belong. It is your mission and my mission, our collective mission, to pursue those individuals so that they would find a place where they can feel like they belong, not just here, but truly belong in the family of God. So that's what I think it means when it talks about pursuing hospitality. People, we have to be eager and looking for these opportunities. I will say Northgate Church, I think, does a great job of this. We have um, a great hospitality team that greets us every Sunday in the foyer, and they are trained to keep an eye out for who looks like a stranger here today, and how can I greet them, how can I love them and welcome them to our church. I think it happens in organic ways, naturally, and I hear the stories as they trickle into me, and you probably don't hear many of them, but it just happens throughout our church, not through an official program. It happens in ways that you're not aware of either um, through this. We have a fellowship fund at the church. So the way our budget works is at the church is we have a general fund that pays everything. The, the light bill, the salaries, the missionaries, everything. The other fund that exists in our church is called the fellowship fund. And you can give that to any time you want to. I'd encourage you to give to it soon because the funds there are actually running low because we're giving it all away. We'll have people that are staying in the hotel up the street tell us how they're passing through and how they might, they need some assistance. And we have a process of evaluating these things, and then if we can, we help them. There's people right here in our city who don't have anywhere that they feel like they belong, and so they reach out to us, and we have the opportunity to evaluate the need and give. There's people right in the pews around you who oftentimes have needs, and because of the fellowship fund, we're able to meet those needs and love one another as a family and show that hospitality in that way. There's all kinds of ways we can do it, and I think there's all kinds of ways that we can do it more as we pursue the stranger. The other thing I think you need to consider doing is you've got to think bigger than Northgate Church. There are organizations in our city that are specifically designed to befriend strangers. There's an organization that's, that's not Christian. It's called Hello Neighbor, and their whole orientation is just towards people that move into our city from faraway lands. How can we help them learn about what it is to live in this country in Pittsburgh at this time. There's a Christian organization that we support. It's called PRISM. It stands for Pittsburgh Regional International Student Ministry. They're in Oakland. And they have like a waiting list of students and scholars who've come here and are strangers. And they sign up on this list and they tell them, like, listen, we'll try to pair you up with a friend. And that friend will meet with you on a certain, you know, once a month or whatever it is. Now, they're Christians, so they might, you know, that might come up. And they sign up, and they're eager to learn about our traditions and our values and our history and all these things. There's a waiting list in our city of strangers who have said, please befriend me. And there they sit on the waiting list. Twice I've signed up on that list and been paired with a friend. And both times I've had extraordinary opportunities to share my faith with them. And they're eager to listen and learn because it's sort of foreign to them growing up far, far from here in a totally different time and place. Now, one, one occasion we walked through the, the art museum in Pittsburgh. And my friend said to me, can we go through this section? Because it has all the stuff about Jesus. And he's like, I don't get it. Like Everything in this Western culture all revolves around a cross. Can you explain to me, like, what this is and why this is so important? If I have opportunities to read the Bible with them, I just think it's, it's noteworthy to step back and zoom out even larger than the church and see that there are organizations in our city that are saying, like, here's our mission, to befriend the stranger. 
and we should consider that. I think the same thing falls, foster care is the same category. We have a number of people in our church who have embraced that. There's children in our region who don't belong, and we have the opportunity to open up our arms and give them a place to belong. Am I pursuing hospitality? Am I befriending strangers? Am I helping people find a place to belong? It's our mission. So how do we connect in community? We pursue God. As we pursue God in service, we're going to naturally be connected to one another. As we pursue one another, we're going to show one another honor. And then beyond those that are here, we're going to pursue hospitality so that we can bless those who are not here with us and and love the strangers. As I close, to try to make it even more personal, I wanted to highlight some folks that I feel like are leading the way in this category for our church. So I'm going to embarrass Caleb and Kelly Schroeder. Caleb is is at the soundboard. Kelly was at the first service. Caleb and Kelly started attending our church back during COVID. And it it was shortly after they came that we saw that they had a desire to connect with God through service. This couple just loves to serve the Lord through our church and through other ways. So they volunteered with our youth group, and Caleb started volunteering with our media team. And it wasn't long that they were here before Kelly came and said, like, I'd like to lead the church in pursuing hospitality towards those who live with disabilities. So we began to have conversations, and this different abilities ministry began to emerge. What I like sharing about Caleb and Kelly is how they illustrate their pursuit of God is centered upon serving the Lord. And as they try to connect us to one another, their focus is on honor. Because you know the people that are often not held in high honor are those who live with disabilities. So Kelly's leadership has helped us see, like, let's pursue honoring those who are often not honored. And I'll be vulnerable enough to admit, as leadership of the church, we've dropped the ball There's been times where we've had things, and then we look back and we're like, oh, we didn't honor them. And then you know what Kelly has done at every turn? She's outdone us in showing honor as she forgives us and gives us grace and continues to lead us in trying to honor those that often are not honored. Their pursuit of God, their pursuit of one another, and their pursuit of hospitality. They fundamentally want this church to be a place where those who don't have anywhere to belong come into our church family and feel like they do belong. I could have used any number of you as an illustration for this point because I think we are a part of a wonderful church that's doing a wonderful job about pursuing God together through service, pursuing one another through showing honor, and, and pursuing hospitality in lots of different ways. So I'm, I'm happy to be in this church at this time. We pursue community during this year Not necessarily because we see it as a big red flag of a problem as a church. Honestly, we brag about Northgate Church oftentimes because it just feels like a family. And yet we can all, if we look into ourselves, probably see an area which we could each make a little improvement, couldn't we? So let's go to the Lord and ask him to do that for us. And Jesus, Heavenly Father, we come before you and we thank you for these words in Romans chapter 12. And we pray, Lord, that you'd help us be obedient to them, Lord. But as we've said, Lord, we don't want to be obedient to them just out of duty, but Lord, because we're so grateful for the hospitality and the love and the honor that you have shown to us. As we think about Jesus coming to this earth, we see that it was your pursuit of us that inspires us to pursue you.
So Lord, we ask that you through your power, your Holy Spirit that's in each of us, that you'd empower us to, to live this way, to pursue you and one another and, and those who are outside. We ask that you would do this in us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.